Welcome to today's episode of the Ambition Podcast. I'm David Woods-Hale, Director of Marketing and Communications at Amber and BGA. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Sean Meehan, Martin Hilty Professor of Marketing and Change Management and Dean of the MBA program at IMD in Lausanne to talk about his new book, The Customer Copernicus, How to Be Customer-Led. In the first part of this two-part special, we'll be discussing some of the main themes of the book and the motivation behind it, as well as some examples of organizations that are best practice examples of being customer-centric. Well, hi, Sean. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak to me today for the podcast. Um, just before we really get into the, to the nub of the conversation, I was hoping you might be able to tell me a little bit about yourself and your career to date. Sure, David. Thanks a million for having me on your show. Uh, I was born in Ireland uh, 60 years ago. I was educated in Dublin, Manchester, London. I'm married to Jill. I have two grown-up daughters. I was raised in a family business. So I think that sort of gives you a little bit of a clue as to how I get into this whole customer centricity area. Um, after graduation, I became an accountant and enjoyed periods as an auditor, a consultant, and a, a manager. I was working in the UK and in the US uh, before returning to uh, London to study for a PhD at London Business School. Uh, Jill and myself moved to Switzerland with Alice. Uh, in 1997 to take up an appointment as the Professor of Marketing at IMD in Lausanne. And I've been here since. I, I love the place. Um, I work closely with companies from all around the world, uh, our clients here at IMD, helping them to become more customer-centric, or as I like to think of it, uh, a level up from customer-centricity, customer-led. Uh, I researched the topic. I've been researching the topic now for, gosh, probably 30 years. Uh, and I take on some institutional roles. Um, currently, I'm the director and the dean of the full-time MBA program. So uh, IMD and Lausanne are home for me uh, at this stage. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much. As I mentioned, we're here to talk about customer-centric enterprise. And you mentioned that you know, you've done a lot of research into the area for the past 30 years. What does that actually mean in practice? And, and how would you sort of say that's changed over the past 30 years? I think literally it means putting the customer at the center. And, and what I mean by that is, I mean, customer centricity, customer at the center, um, it is at the center of your thinking. Uh, and practically, I think that means designing the organization to serve the customer. Uh, some interpretations of this are, and I, and I see this in, in the companies that are trying desperately to become more customer centric, they invest in enhancements to customer service. You know, they're they're listening to customer feedback, they're listening to complaints, they're yeah. trying to figure out how to improve the processes around that. Others tend to focus more at, a, I would say, at a higher level, uh, where they're thinking about market dynamics. So they're thinking about their customers and com competitors in a sort of a SWOT analysis type way. Um, and and most recently, then we've we've seen a huge focus on re-engineering customer journeys. And I'm my position is all of this is good. More of it is even better. The issue isn't how savvy or how well do you know your customers and what your customers value. Uh, the issue is what do you do about it then? And if you can if you think about it this way, there's something that is called market sensing, being aware. And there's lots of techniques available to uh, to to become more aware. But then what happens? What decisions are made as a result of that? What options are developed as a result of that? You know, there's a, there's a fascinating piece of academic research uh, which tells us 
that managerial research, that is research by managers in companies, is used, such as market research, is used a little bit like drunks use a lamppost for support rather than illumination. Yeah. Often they're just confirming their, their biases. Inconvenience, uh, inconvenient insights are cast aside. Uh, bad news is, is literally locked up. I mean, I've, I've seen it. I've seen uh, market research reports being suppressed because senior management wouldn't accept them. And, and middle management is afraid to, to, to own up. Biases are confirmed. And the bottom line is status quo is maintained. There's minor movement, and it's not enough to, to really respond to what those people have learned uh, about what the market really needs at this, uh, at this moment. So I think this is the real reason why there's such little impact or no impact from making uh, from from the initiatives around uh, customer sensing. That is what the research is telling us now, is that there's no relationship between your investments in customer set sensing and business performance. What you really need is to ensure that there's what we would call responsiveness uh, to, to what you are learning, uh, to what, how the market is evolving. All of that arises that this situation of this unsatisfactory situation arises because we haven't put the customer at the center it's not properly thought through what does that actually mean it should mean putting the customer first you know and that seems so darn obvious today but you've got to go all the way back to peter drucker in 1954 when he wrote this magnificent piece of work uh, the practice of management and his perspective was the purpose of a business is to create a customer. And that was pretty much accepted as a truism um, for a long time until the Marketing Science Institute got behind a huge research program uh, and started publishing early in the 1990s. And they proved very, very clearly that there was strong evidence linking what they called market orientation, which is sensing and responding, uh, to superior business performance, positive and strong association with superior business performance. And that was across all sorts of sectors. Several studies since have gone much uh, deeper. Um, they corroborate that basic uh, finding. They confirm in particular that all of the face-to-face -face or classic market research with traditional methodologies and panels, and also now that we can use data, um, it, it just... It isn't enough. Uh, so the MSI studies point clearly to that this whole area is a challenge of culture and values and beliefs. Uh, so, so back to your question, David, a customer-led enterprise is one where everyone believes that the success, its success, is defined primarily by its ability to create customer value in new and better ways. In other words, the point of the organization, the purpose of the organization is to create customer value. The alternative, the alternative is that customer orientation is a way to create financial value for, for the shareholders. So it positions customer centricity, if you like, as an enabler. We're saying, no, not an enabler. It's the purpose. What a fantastic overview. Thank you so much for that. You'll be pleased to know I've taken loads from this that I'm going to come back to later in the interview. Sure. <laughs> but just to just to sort of take a step backwards. So you've recently published a book on the subject and it has a fantastic title, which I love, The 
Customer Copernicus, How to Be Customer-Led. What was your motivation to write this book? So, so the book explains what it is to be customer-led and how you go about creating a, a customer-led company, and how you can lose it, and I, I hope we get back to that, and, and how you should yeah. keep from losing it, how you prevent yourself from losing it. And, and we have found that the, the only way to create a customer-led company is by defining success in the terms that I've suggested before, customer gains, establishing a shared belief on that this is how we're going to run the business. And for that to really go through the organization, and the only way you can do that is what we're calling moments of belief. Uh, and that that's that's the moment at which the organization realizes it needs to believe top management when top management say the purpose of this business is to create customer value. We are customer obsessed. And the only condition under which you will create such a moment of belief is when you are ready to completely reject the status quo. And you have what we like to call a state of burningness. Now, we don't call it a burning platform because that's a thing. We call it burningness because that is a state of mind. And it's brought on by fear or pain or ambition. That means you're committing yourself and the organization to a completely new future. And, and that means you're willing to change. And that's why moments of belief come into play. I, I've written two books previously on the topic, broadly speaking, in, in this space, Simply Better and Beyond the Familiar. And the motivation, therefore, for writing this was that, that Charlie Dawson and myself, uh, Charlie at the foundation in, in London, and myself, we, we work with a lot of senior executives. Two things are abundantly clear. One, they have an enormous hunger to make customer centricity work. Uh, most know that they have not made the kind of progress that they had imagined at the outset. They have spent lots of money in the areas that we've discussed, and they feel they need answers. Why isn't this working? Uh, and we realized we needed to help them to make this big leap into the future, to move them from being obsessed with behaviors or practices and move them back to beliefs and challenge, you know, get them to challenge that this is about a belief system, which is contrary to the, pre the prevailing uh, belief system in the organization. And we want them to get the dis their discourse back on track. And we want to get them to examine what they believe success looks like and where does, does it come from. And the pathway for us, we see it as we managers, if you like, are social beings. Business is part of society. We and it, business, we're there to serve humanity, humankind in one way or another. And at the root of all of that is creating customer value. That's the role of business. And we should, we're trying to help them to become less self-centered and, and less obsessed with optimizing their outcomes around financial performance, for example, uh, to focusing on a different definition of success. So because we truly believe that business is a force for good in society. We want businesses to behave in new and better ways. And we thought this was a noble, uh, a noble task to take on, to play our small part in helping uh, businesses redefine 
their belief in in what matter in in what is success and what matters over time and and helping them to to get there and stay there um because we've seen that the great companies that that actually do this are tremendous uh, creators of value for society in so many ways yeah I, I couldn't agree with you more but with that in mind can you give me some examples anecdotally or otherwise of organizations that you believe are the best practice examples in being customer-led or customer-centric sure sure so so a caveat David, before we start naming names, <laughs> is that, and, and, I, and I will name names, don't worry, um, is that being customer-led, because it's a belief and a state of mind, it isn't a given forever. It's not like building a statue and putting it outside and it is there for eternity. Um, it's a belief system. Beliefs can change. In fact, that's what we're all about, trying to change beliefs. But, you know, just because they become the beliefs that, that we think make total sense doesn't mean they're going to stay that way. So we like to look at the, the a lot of our studies for this book were longitudinal studies over a long, long period of time. And what we see is there are ups and downs for a lot of companies. There are periods where they are and there are periods where they're not. So, so with that caveat, um, I would say that Amazon is probably the most customer-led company on the planet today or ever. Um, and that, that is quite, quite something. Um, DBS, the Development Bank of Singapore, is definitely up there. Um, earlier, it's at an earlier stage in the journey, but it's it's a hugely impressive organization. And what the management there has, has achieved in the last uh, 20 years has been hugely impressive. Um, and I would also cite Zalando, Lego, and they're, and they're good examples of companies who, as I say, had, had amazing periods where they were showing exactly this. Tesco, EasyJet, Sky, Hilti in the B2B sector, also in the B2B sector, is WL Gore. If I go back to Bezos and, and, um, and, and Amazon, he was fueled by a burning ambition. And, he, he, and that ambition was to create an enduring franchise that would reinvent what it meant to serve customers by unlocking the internet's power. Now, enduring franchise, long-term, reinvent what it meant to serve customers, total focus on the customers through the internet. Nothing there about books, nothing. That's a pretty huge ambition taken seriously. And he backed that up by saying, um, success for us, will mean the growth of customer numbers, the growth of revenue, and the degree to which people come back and buy again. He stated that when the company went public. So he's out in the market trying to raise money, and he's telling the shareholders, customer first, from the get-go. He could see that customers wanted wide choice, low prices, fast delivery. And he got the business to work relentlessly and innovatively to find new and better ways to get those results. He kept on reinvesting. Amazon's never paid shareholders a dividend. For years, the business didn't turn a profit. Customer value first was his view, and his view was the rest would follow. I think that's a pretty enlightened uh, way, but just starting out that way doesn't keep you that way. So I'd like to point to a couple of examples within Amazon where you'd have to say he backed up his, his bold statements by what I've earlier referred to as moments of belief. These are the moments where 
everyone understands that this is for real. Amazon has allowed, just think about what this means. Amazon has allowed sellers of other products onto his Amazon Marketplace platform. And these products are in competition with its own offering. So for example, if uh, you wanted to buy a digital camera, there's a digital camera product manager sitting in Amazon whose job it is to maximize sales and, and to, uh, to, to have the right product choice available and get it to everyone at a low price. And you say to him, good luck with that. And meanwhile, I'm bringing in your competition onto our platform, our proprietary platform. And at the moment that they are searching, they're going to be given your option as well as other options. Now, Amazon had the had the right ability, and the norm, of course, was that on your own platform, you sell your own stuff. You don't sell anyone else's stuff, certainly not competing stuff. Amazon or Bezos pushed that through against the, well, in the face of severe skepticism within his own team. Uh, and I think that was a moment of belief where he said, it's the right thing to offer customers a better choice. Choice is what we said. White choice, low prices, fast delivery. This is part of choice. And the publishers were up in arms when he decided to show all reviews, whether it's good or bad, alongside the products being sold. So the, the books are sitting there, somebody bangs in a bad review, and the publishers are going like, well, we'll suppress the bad review, leave the good review there. We want people to buy the book. And you know, you will lose sales with bad reviews. He did it because he said, this is what's going to build customer trust. Yeah. My job is to build customer trust. And then- you, you, you know, when you're, you, I'm sure you've had the experience of buying a book on Amazon. Who hasn't? Um, and you'll get suggestions. People like you also bought. People who bought this also bought. Um, and, and these are suggestions that are made based on real customers. And it may be that you've no interest, and, but, and that's totally fine. But it's not, it's not some kind of black box AI magic that's happening. They're not trying to be super duper clever. They're just saying, you know, people with your profile or people that have bought these books that you've bought have also bought something else. Maybe you want to think about that. And that's actually what I would consider a helpful nudge as opposed to an exploitation. So he does these things. And these are what we call a, a, a continual flow of moments of belief. And he's insisting when he hires, customer obsession is one of the things he's looking for uh, in, in earlier careers. He's ensuring that Amazon remains as purposeful as it was um, at its birth. And he's always talking about maintaining the vitality of day one. And what he means by that is, I want us to behave like a startup. They have about 100, 150,000 employees, I think. I, I really don't keep up on the numbers of Amazon's employees, but let's just say I really big employees. And he wants it to behave like it's a startup. And actually, that is a, a fantastic motive because as one of the things that's common in a startup is the owner knows his customers, his or her customers. You know precisely, you know, what you need to do to make sure that you can make payroll this week. Um, you, you, you're very, very proximate to uh, what's going on in the market. In most large companies with hundreds of thousands of employees, the management is so distant from, uh, from customers. It's on to day two for them. And what he wants is to maintain the vitality of day one, and he does it in different ways. So I think that is, to me, the outstanding exemplar of, of being customer-led. 
Well, that's all we have time for for today's episode. But I'll be speaking to Sean again next week to talk about some recent research that shows that only 24% of senior executives adopt a customer-led approach to running their business. And I'll be asking why this approach is not mainstream. We'll also have a chat about how being customer-centric feeds into the ethics and sustainability practices of organizations. 